This is, as Mickey said, Palm Sunday, but it's also a time when we're going to look at church planting. But I want to talk to you this morning about now is the time. So if you'd like to read with me the passage in Luke, Luke 19, verses 28 to 40. All the Gospels account for this story, but we're just going to read Luke's version. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Well, Tom and I took our youngest daughter, Georgie, for a little exploration in Paris. It was a fun little celebration for her. And we did all the things that you're supposed to do when you go to Paris. You know, we went, we had ate too many crepes, probably lots of glasses of wine. We went up the Bateau Mouche. We went to Montmartre to get the sketch done. And then, of course, we had to do what everyone does when you go to Paris, climb the Eiffel Tower. And, you know, if I'm honest, I wasn't really looking forward to this bit because I'm not so brilliant with heights, but can't be outshone by a 12-year-old. So I was getting ready to go on up when suddenly this commotion took place at the base of the Eiffel Tower. There was a noise. There was rumbling noises. And we heard whistles and we heard screeching tires. And sure enough, these outriders came in, yellow jackets, parking their bikes on the side. And as you can imagine, it wasn't long after where the gleaming black Range Rovers were coming past. And then Tom spotted in the middle of this convoy none other than our British royal standard. He was like, Sarah, it's one of our royal family. As so we were peering to try and see who it was, a crowd was amassing. They basically cut off all the routes around the Eiffel Tower for this moment. And um, sure enough, it was Prince William and Kate, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, it was their fanfare, their entry into Paris, into the city. And our passage today talks about another fanfare. It talks about another king entering into a great city. And it is a pivotal moment that we're going to look at. It is a time where we've known for the past three years Jesus has been operating outside of Jerusalem. He's been into Jerusalem, but he's really kept his ministry in the shadows. And he's been touring around Galilee and Samaria, and we, we know what he's been up to. 
He's been healing the sick. He's been walking on water. He's been feeding the 5,000. He's seen Lazarus raised from the dead. And every time he's done one of these incredible miracles, what has he said? Don't tell anyone. Keep it quiet. But not now. This is the moment. This is the moment where he goes public. This is the moment where he comes to really declare who he is. And it's a time of Passover in the city of Jerusalem. This is a massive festival. It's a big, big festival. It's where every Jew who's scattered throughout the ancient Middle East returns to Jerusalem. They come from all different roads in, and the Jews in Jerusalem go out to meet the pilgrims. They imagine they hug them, they carry palm branches, because they're remembering back to King David when he came back into the capital, reclaimed it, and it was the golden age. And they go out and they welcome them in. And some historians have estimated that the population could even have swollen to close to two million. Massive, massive festival. And the, the city couldn't accommodate them. So they started to set up camps on the hills around Jerusalem. And one of these camps was on the Mount of Olives. And I like to think of it like focus on the Mount of Olives. There they had their community pictures. It was that focus moment. They couldn't miss out. They had to do everything to get there because they were there celebrating, praising God, favorite worship songs, but knowing that they would encounter their king. So here we find Jesus, he's, he's walked from Galilee with his disciples, and I bet he's picked up a load of pilgrimage, pilgrims on the way, on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. He's with this crowd, they arrive on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives is really close. It's like one mile into the city, and all they had to do is just go down. Why didn't they just walk the final mile? But Jesus does this bizarre thing. He says to two of his disciples, go to Bethany, a village they knew well, they stayed in many times, go and get a donkey, but not just a donkey, get the baby donkey that's never been ridden before, bring it here. If they think you're stealing it, say to them, the Lord needs it. And this is the first time that Jesus has used the phrase, the Lord, not meaning prophet or teacher, but meaning God for himself a self-disclosure that God himself needs it. So they get the donkey and you know they, he then processes down that path into Jerusalem. Why the donkey? A bit like when we went to Paris, we read the signs. We knew what those whistles meant. We knew what the outriders meant. We knew what those glossy Range Rovers meant. It was take note, someone important is coming anticipation and Jesus knew that when he got on that donkey there would be no question in that city what he was saying he was declaring himself as king because every Jew would know two really key passages of scripture off by heart they would know Zechariah 9 rejoice greatly daughter of Jerusalem shout daughter of Jerusalem see your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly, and what? Riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. Do you think the disciples just could be thinking, this is it, this is about to be fulfilled? 
in front of their very eyes. Not just the donkey, but the foal of the donkey, never ridden. And this is also a pivotal moment because it is the return of the king. You Lord of the Ring fans, the return of the king. He is coming back. He is long awaited and he is returning. And they knew the devastating prophecy in Ezekiel. That devastating prophecy, prophecy in chapter 10, when Ezekiel says, because of the disobedience of the temple, that God's glory, his Shekinah, is gonna leave the temple. What a devastating thing to happen. But where is it going? It's gonna leave through the east gate and up through the Mount of Olives. And then in Ezekiel, they know that later in verse, in chapter 43, Ezekiel says, this is not the end. This is not the end. God's coming back. His glory is gonna to return to the temple. He is gonna come back. And how is he gonna come back? You've got it. Down the Mount of Olives and through the East Gate. Surely the levels of excitement were too much. Surely the disciples were thinking, we've seen him perform miracles. We know who he is. Nobody else knows who he is. But this is it. Our king is returning. And yet, Jesus knows that he is not the king that they want. I'm guessing that they're thinking, do you know what, inside, he's gonna crush the Roman army. He's gonna repossess our capital. He's gonna reinstate Mosaic law. This is the moment, the excitement. And yet Jesus comes, not as that king that they expect, not as the king they even necessarily want, but as the king they so desperately need. And he's not gonna overthrow the Roman occupation. He's gonna do something so much more significant. He is coming to overthrow the occupation of sin and death and pain and suffering that keeps us slaves. He is coming to break it. And he comes not with victory over Rome, but victory over death itself. Jesus is returning into the city, bearing the presence of God himself, the authority in the city. And thirdly, it's a pivotal moment because the king has a massive impact on the city. The disciple Matthew says, the city was stirred up, and the word is the similar to the word of an earthquake. You know, when tectonic plates are starting to rumble, something is happening, there's, a, there's an anticipation in the city. And it's so interesting, isn't it? I bet there are people just going about their marketplace, looking after their families, doing their business, who think, how insignificant is this what teacher on this little donkey coming into our city? When in the same week, the magnificence of the Roman Empire came with Pontius Pilate riding in on his horse with the military stature of the Roman Empire behind him. Who would you back as your king? Someone with the whole force of the most powerful empire ever known to man, or some teacher on a baby donkey. Yet he rides into Jerusalem as king. And he continues to ride today. He rides into the hearts of our Jerusalems. He rides 
to free us from pain and shame and suffering and disappointment and all the things that we think would hold God away from us. There is nothing, there is no circumstance that is too big, too dark, too difficult for God not to be able to rescue. And I love the disciples because, you know, quite frankly, I think they had no clue. He'd said to them, you know, the temple will be destroyed in three days and rebuilt in three days. They had no idea that he was referring to his body. But we know the rest of the story. We know that the shouts of Hosanna turned to cries of crucify. We know that he becomes the ultimate blood sacrifice at this Passover, not the little donkey, but he himself on the cross. And we know as triumphant as the entry into Jerusalem was for Jesus, the real triumphant exit was from the tomb, which couldn't hold him, couldn't keep him down. And as he resurrects on that third day, he rebuilds the temple in each of us, in our church, whereby you and I, we carry the presence of God. We carry the hope of God. We carry the power of God himself by his spirit living in us. So you may ask, what relevance does this make to 2019? What difference does it make to my life? He is still the king. He is still ruling. And, and I wonder, what would it look like if we really grasped this, if every city, if every church was so filled with hope, was so filled with love, was reaching those on the margins? What would it look like if every church was deciding that we are gonna be at the vanguard of breaking down every barrier of exclusion? What would it look like if we were inviting the marginalized in? It is our privilege as the church to tell this to the world. It is our privilege. We are called to the ends of the earth. And that is why we are so passionate about planting churches because we know that they are the hope because Jesus is coming into the city through the church. And if we're gonna engage in our city, in our communities, we need to recognize that the majority of people don't know who he is. The majority of our nation don't know him. And maybe some of us, like Jerusalem, our colleagues, our neighbors are so busy about their business that they're totally unaware that the king has come. Or maybe some of us here need to set our faces with resolve in the places of hostility that we find ourselves, in our workplaces or wherever they may be. And sometimes, you know, I can feel slightly discouraged when I, I feel, oh, do you know, the church is just not making the impact it could. We're just totally absent from this area in society. Has God left the city? Has he left the markets, the economy? Has he left the political arena? But Jesus hasn't given up. Our king is coming. He is returning. And commentators can say that the tide of Christian faith is going out, but that is not what I see when I visit our church plants around this nation. I see very much the opposite, that the tide is coming in. 
and it is rising and it is flooding into every city, every town, every council estate, every village, every school, every prison, every business, every home. Because there's no place that God's sovereign kingship cannot be and cannot reach. And I do get the privilege to visit many of our church plants on the train. We've planted over 80, um, including plants of plants. And when I visit them, I see the tide. I see the signs of the tide rising. And this is why the Church Revitalization Trust exists. It exists because we want to see our nation change. We want to see lives transformed, communities transformed, our nation transformed. And I am so inspired. You know, it was only eight months ago that Jill and Toby went to Bristol to plant St. Nicholas, closed for 65 years. I remember getting in the taxi and the taxi driver saying it doesn't exist St. Nicholas. And we worked out it's because he'd lived there for 45 years and it had always been empty. And I could say to him, tonight it's reopening as a church. They were full of building projects, loads going on, but they decided to start Alpha, not knowing if anyone would come, would anyone even know that they're there? 200 people have done Alpha. Loads of students from Bristol since they started. Yeah. You'll remember St. Werberg's Derby that had been bought by a developer, turned into a massive Chinese restaurant. We reclaimed it as a church. They're doing phenomenal things. They're reaching out with a cafe to people, to refugees who come into this country, hearing horrific stories and showing hospitality, showing love. I'm so inspired by Harbour Church, Portsmouth, helping women who've been victims of human trafficking, domestic abuse, those who have been suffering addictions, come into the only safe place they feel in the week that they can be themselves and given dignity. And it's the same with the Whitehawk Estate. I was there last month looking at their food bank, and it's not just the food. There is a crisis of food. There's a food poverty in our nation, but it's not just that that they're doing. They're setting a loving environment to say, come in, come home, have a nice cup of coffee, have something to eat. If you've got a debt issue, meet our debt counselor. If you're an unemployed teenager, come on our SPEAR program. If you're suffering addictions that you just cannot kick, come on our recovery course. They are making such an impact. St. George's Gateshead, up north, last week, Rich and Louise, they ran a kids' club for young children who didn't have any holiday plans over Easter. These are children who are the most marginalized that think that drugs and violence are part of growing up, are normal. And yet the church volunteers put on a club where they could just be children. Even here, our fifth site, Delgano, who started the Spear course, we've got 15 teenagers on it, coaching them to try and help them believe that they can do something more with their lives than just sit locked in their room day after day. And our vision is to connect every prison in this country with one of our resource churches, so that if someone does Alpha in prison, they're met at the gate, they're brought into the church family, and with a suite of incredible social transformation projects, they can regain their dignity. And we're starting to measure impact. We want to know, does the city or village even recognize if the church was removed from their community? And we're measuring impact since the church has been planted. Has knife crime gone down? Has homelessness gone down? Have offset rates gone up? Because this is the mark of kingship. He is transforming our cities. The tide is rising. 
And I heard one of our national speakers on the television the other day, he was saying, you know, this is such a historic time in the history of our nation with Brexit, we'll look back and we'll marvel at these times that we're living in. And something in me rose up. And I wanted to say, yes, but there's an even greater history being written for those who have eyes to see it. And it is saying, now is the time. Now is the time to stir our cities. Now is the time to get into the saddle. Now is the time for us to set our faces with resolve. Now is the time to enter the city gates. Now is the time for extravagant love within the church, for cities to experience things they've never seen levels of love. Now is the time to break down barriers of exclusion and to invite the marginalized in. Now is the time, church, to tell people about our returning King. Now is the time. Amen.